Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week nine of the Big East Barroom, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout for $20 off your first purchase. Get all of your seats for 2024 through SeatGeek using our code. Ryan, happy 2024, our first podcast. We are officially in the heart of conference play. No more weird weeks off. No more weird Hofstra games in the middle of the week. How are you feeling? about the Big East right now. Well, it's a hell of an introduction for me to then lead it, follow it up by saying pretty down about the Big East. Pretty wow. down. Um, ah, let you, let's have an honest conversation. Were you impressed by the top of the Big East over the last week, week and a half? And are you looking at any team right now and say national championship contender? Yeah, UConn is as good as a national championship contender. UConn handled business. They went to Hinkle, really hard place to win. They beat Butler by 30 points, or DePaul by 30 points. Um, Nothing about in at uh in New Jersey, you know, took care of Seton Hall, right? They lost. They lost to Seton Hall, who beat Marquette, and then they beat Providence at Providence. I, I think Seton Hall is pretty good. Which I have said on this podcast that Seton Hall on Selection Sunday would be in position to be hearing their name called, and you laughed at me. Yeah, I, I, Seton Hall plays such ugly basketball, such ugly basketball. But listen, they're winning. So what am I going to say except for congratulations? Um, but I am not been impressed with the top of the Big East. I think there's a lot of question marks right now. And uh, overall, not a great, you know, s- start to conference play. If you're looking at, you know, the top of the league. Oh, it depends. Is it quantity or quality that you're looking for? This conference showed over this week they could have seven teams dancing. This conference also showed that maybe they don't have three or four, you know, teams that could play into the second weekend like we thought they did. Yeah, but I don't think that – I think – those seven teams are going to start knocking each other out of dancing. Well, we'll see. But, I mean, they got – Seton Hall really put themselves in position to be in position. St. John's has done what they needed to do. Um, We'll see. You know, you need to see more from the middle of that – top middle of that pack like Villanova and Creighton to really know what the ceiling is for this conference. Yeah, and then, you know, the Marquette questions. They lose uh, their only game this week. They lost the game last week. There's, there's a lot of questions about the teams we thought were going to be national chip title contenders, but we're going to go through all of them. We're going to put three minutes on the clock for each one. Um, Tyler, what order are we going in today? We are going in order of most Q1 wins, speaking about the top of the conference, to least Q1 wins. And Ryan has all of this information, so I am going to defer to him. There will be no guessing um, because I have random amounts of knowledge on this, and um, I don't think it would be very good to guess. So why don't you just tell me who we're talking about first? All right, we're going to put three minutes on the clock, and we are starting this episode with your Villanova Wildcats, who are 3-0 and in Q1 games, oddly enough, because all the games they've lost have not qualified as Q1. St. John's at home was not Q1 last I checked. I don't believe it was this morning, but it may be by the time you're listening. Oh, they played two games this week, and they narrowly escape 66-65 against Xavier. Desmond Claude missing two shots that he never misses. Um, and then they beat the Johnny or they lost to the Johnny's 81 71. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, if Desmond Cloud hits a floater, we're talking about the hellish of all hell weeks for them. Very fortunate for them to get out of their one on one. I got a hot take for you pretty early in the podcast. I'm sure it'll be good. I think Villanova might have the second worst offense in the Big East behind. No, I headed to Paul. Mm, that's weird. Georgetown. Yeah, I think Georgetown might have a better offense than Villanova. This was painful. I mean, what did they score? They scored seven points through the first 10 minutes against St. John's. They, they don't got a guy who can hit a freaking basket if they were wide open. Yeah. Uh, Eric Dixon shooting four of 18 when he's been your best player. Really hurts two of 10 from three. Um, they shot 38% in a game against St. John's, who is not that interested in playing defense all the time. So at the fin, I mean, you got to be pretty concerned, I think, right now if you're a Villanova fan. I think this... This team has shown that they have the potential, but oh, I don't. You, my hot take, right? They have a culture pro- problem. 
They are not, they're not as bought into playing basketball as they need to be. And therefore I will say they have a Kyle Neptune problem. That is not a hot take, which everybody has said a lot. Um, we have heard quite a few rumors that there are quite a few players on the team that are not that interested in playing basketball um, this year. I'm going to, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to be the voice of reason here. One, it's too early to judge Kyle Neptune. It's been a year and a half. Last year was a very strange year. His five-star recruit misses most of the year. Justin Moore misses so much of the year. Justin Moore is, again, missing this portion of the year. And the second thing is, uh, through a year and a half, not impressed, though. Yeah, I mean, like, wildly not impressed. Um, And they, they're going to go on a run. I still think they're a borderline tournament team. Um, You know, they're going to win some games, and that's not going to be – I just don't know if that's how we're going to be able to judge him. They just have so much talent that they're going to run into wins. Eric Dixon is an absolute animal. Brendan um, Hawson. Can we talk about this guy? He's the only one who can hit a basket on the entire right. team. He scored five of their first 18 points against St. John's. Guess how many points he scored after that? Zero. Not one. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to get the kid shots. He's the only one who can hit a shot on the whole team. Yeah, I mean, listen, they played him pretty even. I mean, I think they were down like 22 to 8 at one point in this game. I mean, after that, they won the next, whatever, 35 minutes by four points. You can't go down by that many points to start. Um, It's time to have a conversation about what this team is, what their ceiling is, but I don't think we know what their ceiling is, and that's what's frustrating to me as watching Villanova. Well, I think over the course of the year, they've improved defensively significantly, but the offense has regressed, and now you got guys just standing around a three-point arc taking shots. I'm, I'm a broken record right now. I'm so, it, it's so ugly watching them play these last couple of weeks because there's no ball movement. Nobody's cutting. Nobody's moving hard. It's just a bunch of guys standing around. And I love Eric Dixon, but he can't take 10 threes in a game. And I love, and I love him, but he can't, I mean, that's just not winning basketball. And even if, you know, he's knocking some down, that's just not winning basketball. Yeah. To be clear, their best offense is running through Eric Dixon. He's yes, not the in the post. No, yeah. but I'm saying it's a product of the offense that he's forced to take 10 threes yeah. and they're thinking that's a good option. All right. That wraps it up for Villanova. So the next team we're going to move to is it's, oh no, they'll be our team of the week, huh? So we'll pass for them now, but Seton Hall would be here at three and two in Q1 games. And that moves us over to your Marquette Golden Eagles who are three and three in Q1 games. They lost a Q1 game this week uh, against Seton Hall on the road, putting them at 500 Q1 games. Let's put three minutes on the clock. Right, they can't get a stop. I mean, Seton Hall isn't the best offensive team in the world, and they could not get a stop down the stretch. Kadari Richmond is the ultimate mismatch at all times, and the problem for Marquette coming into the season was size. You put Kadari Richmond backing down Kolick or Mitchell the entire game, dishing out or going right to the hole. I mean, Seton Hall isn't the most – isn't the biggest team you're going to face. And they really struggled with their size and physicality. Yeah, but no other team has Kadari Richmond as your point guard. Well, that's true. Kadari Richmond's only allowed to play on one team at a time. I hate that. But, yeah, the you know who Marquette is missing? What was missing in that scene Hall game was oh, a wing defender. Thank you. Oh, Max. Yeah. Olivia Maxson's prosper would have got the uh, assignment. But instead it goes to Stevie Mitchell. Stevie Mitchell is a very good defensive guard. But Kadari Rich- Richmond is wing-sized. Stevie Mitchell couldn't guard him. And down the stretch, they just went to Richmond and ISO repeatedly. Okay. Can can Stevie Mitchell guard Tristan Newton? I think it's a I really mean, interesting question. We're talking about big guards. The a lot of teams have bigger point guards. I mean, can he can he guard there? Yeah, but Tristan uh, Newton is not the physical okay. specimen that Kadari Rich. Can he guard can he guard Justin Moore? If Justin Moore's right. It's tough. I mean, we're talking about like I get it. Stephen Mitchell's a fantastic wing de- wing defender, and he shouldn't be put in these positions. They need some more size on the perimeter. I just don't, and that's obviously not coming. You don't have a trade deadline in college basketball, but how fun would that be? Somebody made a really good point in my comments. They said Chase Ross probably could have stopped Kadari. Now, they didn't give Ross the assignment to start. Of course, he's coming off the bench. But I think if he was healthy in this game, they might have switched him onto him. They threw some zone in there because they were just begging for answers. I texted you. I wish they would put Oso Iguodaro on him because Oso has the length to stop anybody, and he's quick enough he can keep up with the guard. I thought that was the answer, but they didn't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, you could have done, you know, you would have had to put someone on Bediaku. Bediaku obviously would have been bigger, but Bediaku isn't the most skilled center, so maybe you could have gotten away with it. Um, hey, another thing, and one of my favorite players to ever play college basketball now, another off game for Tyler Kolek. Uh and, you know, I'm not saying anything about his motor or anything, but he's 
he is so much more important to this team in terms of their success. That's not a hot take. He was a big East player of the year, but he's even more important this year. And he is a stir that stirs the strength. Um, and if he's not going, this whole team isn't going right now. Yeah. That's because seeing Hall fans don't listen, but they foul on every drive. And uh, it doesn't get called by Big East refs. And Tyler Kolick is not the physically most imposing guy, especially compared to some of those Seton Hall guys. And uh, he gets bumped off his spots and he missed a lot of shots that he would have liked. The problem is if you get to a tournament and there's one ref who isn't giving you every call, you need to be able to battle through that. And right now, Marquette just needs a lot to go right for them, which it does. They have the players to do that. But they need a lot to go in the right direction for them to win alone consistently. Quick positive, Oso Iguodaro was fantastic in this game. Yeah, I mean, Cam Jones, I know he went 5 of 15, I think, but he he had a few big threes on the stretch. David Joplin hit a big, few big threes in this game. Um, hey, They can score. They scored 75 points, and Seton Hall is pretty good defensively. Yeah. Oh, just not enough. That Seton Hall team is giving people fits. Um, all right, the next team we're going to talk about this is with only two Q1 wins, except for this morning. It actually went to three, so they should have been included before. Is the Yukon Huskies, who are three and two in Q1 games. Um, they played two games this week. They beat the Butler Bulldogs at Hinkle, and they beat DePaul at home. That Butler game was really interesting. No Donovan Klingon. Samson Johnson gets into foul trouble. Alex Caravan gets into foul trouble. Huskies find a way to pull it off. That's not nothing. Kind of what um... – we were talking about ver- with Marquette, how Marquette is kind of, when they face adversity right now, they're not able to hit that next switch where UConn was able to do that, especially against Butler. Um, down seven and a half, Caravan in foul trouble without your starting center, obviously. Um, you know, they really kind of rallied and, you know, led by their seniors. Cam Spencer um, really did a good job and then led by their kid too. Stefan Castle did a really nice job. Yeah, I thought this was Stefan Castle's best game of the season. He had like 14 points and nine rebounds. He was really, really nice for them on the glass. Uh, he scored two transition buckets in a row at a really crucial point in the second half that erased their uh, halftime lead. And then, you know, it was kind of a back and forth game after that. And then you're absolutely Alex Caravan and Kev Spencer just battling on the glass. Caravan had a number of rebounds that had us hollering. We were watching this at the bar together. We were doing a holler. Um, I think one of the things about this UConn team that we don't talk about enough is how every win almost has a new person as a star. I don't even know who you'd say for this Butler game, but I, you know, I was going back and thinking about this as kind of a bigger picture uh, against Texas. The best player was there, Alex Caravan. Against UNC, their best player was um, Cam Spencer. Against Gonzaga, their best player was Donovan Klingon. Um, Tristan Newton has arguably been their best player all season. Against and- Indiana, he was their best player against Indiana. And you could argue that Stefan Castle was their best player against Butler. It's every single night, even if something is a little bit off with one of their guys, you know, someone gets in foul trouble or you, someone's not available, they're able to overcome that. Um, and I think that's just what kind of makes them a national championship contender at the end of the day. That's an excellent positive. I agree with everything you say. On the other hand, this defense, serious concerns about the defense. And everybody's going to say Donovan Klingon, Donovan Klingon. Yes, Donovan Klingon erases a lot of mistakes. Why are they making so many mistakes? There's blow-bys, there's missed assignments. You know, it, it's get, it gets concerning at some point. Ryan, I'll push back because I have often said, if the listeners at home, if you ever had your mom or dad coach you in a sport, you would know that they are always hardest on you. And I think Ryan is like that for UConn. Ryan, you are the ultimate if Ryan Kalkbrenner is out. You say that changes everything for Creighton. Um, Donovan Klingon is that type of defender and that level of defender where he, I mean, his ability to play drop coverage and his ability to erase blow buys, I mean, changes the entire game. So I, I need to see what they look like with Donovan Klingon before I get overly, overly concerned because they're still winning these games, you know, even though they're giving up some more points than normal. Yeah, I think the difference is that Creighton's been running the same defense with Ryan Cockburner for years, whereas last year Dan Hurley wasn't relying on Donovan Klingon to erase these mistakes. But he was relying on the maybe the best defender, perimeter per, defender in the conference. Adama Sonogo? Perimeter defender? Andre oh, Jackson. Andre Jackson. Um, yeah, Andre Jackson was a defensive, different yeah, maker, I, playmaker, freak of a, of a defender. Well, that's what Klingon is in a different – Klingon changes the defense in a different way. He's His ability to erase shots is freakish ability. You know, like, I just think I mean, we're – Listen, it's me and Dan Hurley because Hurley says we're a wet tissue defensively versus you. If I'm on the same side as Hurley, I'll take it. You can you could argue with the head coach. 
I, I mean, again, Dan Hurley is probably harder on his team, just like, you know, just like the analogy I just gave. So you and Dan Hurley are all, you know, your kid is going D1 and you're saying they need to work harder. I call it how I see it defensively and UConn's not up to snuff right now. Uh, they got a lot of time to get up to snuff. And if this isn't up to snuff being number four in the country, I think that UConn should be very happy. All right. Another team with two Q1 wins. We're going to go to your St. John's Johnnies right here. They had, they're two and two in Q1 games. Um, your St. John's Johnnies. Can you imagine? They just have a guy named John running around as their mascot. <laughs> they pick a new John every day coming out and he just runs around. They went 2-0 this week. They beat Butler at home, and then they go into the Finneran Pavilion, one of the true uh, home court advantages in the Big East, an on-site, you know, an on-campus arena that's packed with students, and they wax them. During break. During break. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, it was actually two really good games. That Butler game was also fantastic. Uh, St. John's is... I got to see if they've turned a corner. I want to see them against the top four teams in the Big East. But I'm willing to say that they are better than I thought. Oh, my. Tyler, now, if you were to quantify people as giving you the ick or not giving you the ick. Um, Rick is ick-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still think he's a gross person. Um, but hey, listen, they they're doing what they need to do. They need to beat these. If the middle of the Big East is going to cannibalize each other, someone's got to get a couple of these wins, and they they're doing that. They're they're firmly in the middle of the Big East right now. They beat other teams that they want to be ahead of in the Big East. So I mean, hey, good for them at this point. Like they're yeah. doing everything they need to do. Biggest improvement from beginning of season to now, I believe, belongs to St. John's Johnnies. I'd have to actually think about beginning of season and now Seton Hall. Thank you very much. Mm, I'm not, I'm not sold on that. Uh, yeah, but you hate Seton Hall. Whereas St. John's defense has just, I mean, it's hit another level. And of course it did because Rick Pitino has been doing this for 30 oh years. God. Hey, listen, he's been doing it for 30 years. He's a defensive mastermind. He's a hall of fame coach. And some people were doubting him. Oh, he's lost his touch uh, on what? Uh, uh, Show me any kind of example where he's lost his touch. He hasn't. He's got this team into shape. And, uh, you know, I think his Greece basketball team wasn't that great. Um, they had defensive lapses over and over again. Um, and that's Didn't he take Iona to the NCAA tournament two years in a row. Yeah. How did he do last year against um, them? Against the Mac? He won. He won the regular no, season. How do you, how do, you do when he got the Mac championship? I'm not arguing this. I think it was fair to question. His ability. You call me old, and I'm 30 years old. He was coaching at 30 years ago. Um, actually, he was coaching over 30 years ago because I'm not actually that old. Um, hey, when you have Joel Soriano on your team, I think they could put the corpse of John Wooden over there, and he might be considered one of the best coaches in the league. Yeah, it's a cop out, and you know it. Joel Soriano had a really nice defensive game against Eric Dixon. Got to give him some flowers. Um, I believe it was last week. I was giving him a hard time about his defense, and this week. He had a really nice performance. If he keeps that up, I mean, Sweet 16, what do you think? No, God, Sweet 16? This team isn't in the tournament right now. What? What are we? Sweet 16, they were first four out, and then they went and beat a bad Villanova team. What, a bad Villanova team is 3-0 and in Q1 bad, games. And they can't beat, they can't win a game in Philadelphia. Anybody knows that knows they can't. A Sweet 16 team. I, I think I almost just spit out my beer. Sweet 16. Mark it down right now. St. John's is a sweet. They're not even the best team in the tri-state area. The way they're playing basketball right now. You know they Stop get it. 16 teams in the Sweet 16 first Stop off. it. I can, name, I can name eight teams in the Big East that I think have a better chance than St. John's. Stop eight it. Te- you're out of your mind. You're, I, I, you're, your judgment is clouded. Give me Butler. Give me Butler. Give me Villanova on a neutral site. Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, <laughs> on a neutral site? But not at home. No, God, if they're playing at home, Villanova no, has no no chance. Hey, Jordan Dingle. Oh, I know we went over a little Brady Dunlap though. Can't have the conversation without talking about Brady Dunlap. Kid has played himself into this rotation and um looks like the real deal. Name five sweeter looking strokes than Brady Dunlap has. Yeah. No. Kid is unbelievable. I mean, uh Housen is like the only one I can think of like that's up there. Yeah, he rises and fires. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it almost yeah, it's like almost video game ish because of how uh, 
fundamental it looks. All right. I mean, I think we've proven our point that Tyler doesn't know anything about St. John. So let's move on. To a team you know. Oh, we're not doing our team of the week yet. Damn it, because then I'm going to freaking take all my flowers then. Let's move over to the Providence Friars, who are also 2-2 two and two in Q1 games. Put three minutes on the clock, and this was as bad of a week. If we had a not team of the week, it would be your Providence Friars this week. Uh, I, I'm. They went 0-2, Bri, but we know they really went 0-3. Um, to lose Hopkins for the year um, dramatically changes their ceiling in a way that I don't even know if there's a handful of players in the Big East that change a ceiling for a team as much as Hopkins does. Um, and we can talk about the Seton Hall, you know, the Seton Hall loss and the Creighton loss. I mean, Devin Carter is going to will his team to some wins. I mean, he almost did against Creighton at Creighton like three days after his best friend on the team tore his ACL. I mean, that's like legendary stuff, but I have no issue with the way they played in any of these games. But I mean, I just don't know if there's enough talent now left on that team for them to be a tournament team. Yeah, like, frankly, they are already offensively limited. We knew that. Bryce Hopkins, although he had been having not the best year of his career, was the best offensive talent. Do you think that's still fair to say? Yeah. If you needed a bucket, I don't know. Devin Carter was having a better offensive year. Bryce Hopkins is a better offensive player. Yeah. I mean, either way, we're splitting Harris. Bryce Hopkins was their best Um, player. And they needed him against Creighton because it was just Devin Carter all day long. And listen, I agree with everything you said. Devin Carter, I mean, he was grabbing his shorts with 15 minutes to go. Like, this dude was – he was running every pick and roll, and he was guarding Creighton – Trey Alexander, Creighton's best guard. Like I mean, he's going to guard the best player for 40 minutes, and you're going to need him to score 25 points a game. You just can't put that much offensive load on him. He's not going to last 40 minutes when you ask him to do that much. No, but listen, the good things are a lot of these players have a lot of eligibility left. So um, I think that this year, and listen, Providence fans, you probably still have aspirations for the tournament. I'm not saying that's completely out of the realm of possibility. You had enough wins in your non-con that you might be in a position to be in a position. But this is a time where you see what Garway Duell can do running an offense. You see what Corey Floyd can do getting 25 minutes a game. Um, you see where, you know, ticket gains. I mean, ticket gains won't be here next year, but Devin Carter has another year if he wants it. I mean, you, you just have a lot of pieces that are still going to be in the mix and a lot of really good pieces. And you see, you see where you can get with them because. So what's the formula for them to get into the NCAA tournament at this point? You got to defend the dunk. Yep. You have the best home court advantage in the league. You defend the dunk. Except when Seton Hall plays there. Well, listen, I mean, I know they were losing to Seton Hall before Hopkins went down, but after Hopkins went down in the scream, it's hard to blame the Friars for not making a comeback uh, at that point. And they did. I think they did come back and tie the game at one point. But um, listen, Seton Hall just plays there with some confidence, too. I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit here and be, like, worried about that game, even if they lost with Bryce Hopkins playing. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. The um, only thing that changed the needle for me for Providence is Bryce Hopkins. Nothing. The losses I don't really care about. Um. So if you defend the dunk and you and you beat the bottom four teams on the road, are you an NCAA tournament team? You got to be pretty close. Yeah, you're going to be right around it. Listen, someone said today 11 and 9. Uh, you can figure out how if you can beat the bottom four teams and sweep them, and that's eight wins right there. Then you got to win, you know, three more. They already beat Marquette, so now you need two more wins somewhere else. Can you do it? What? Beat Butler. Yeah, but I'm, I don't know who the bottom four in the Big East are going to be. Butler might be one of those teams. You're going to sweep DePaul. You're going to sweep Georgetown, hopefully. So, if they don't sweep Georgetown. Whew. I think Georgetown might go in there and get a win. I don't know. January 27th is Ryan's um favorite holiday because he's going to be rooting for Georgetown. You hear that, Friar fans? I'm going to be outside the dunk because I can't afford to get into the dunk. No, but, but Ryan's right outside. Also, Ryan believes that Ed Cooley's morals are really good. That's why he supports Rick Pitino, too. Um. Yeah, I mean, it just hurts for the Friar fans, hurts for Bryce Hopkins most of all, obviously, because the kid was, uh, you know, he had gotten the best shape of his life and he wanted to be in the NBA next year and to have that taken away from him just because of a misstep, uh, it it really sucks to see. It's one of the worst things about um, this sport. Hey, don't bet against Devin Carter, though. They go 11-9. and We'll see what happens. All right. The only other team with two quad one wins would be your Creighton Blue Jays. So let's put three minutes. Are on you the counting clock. Georgetown's win over TCU, or are you pr- pretending that didn't happen? Still, 
I'm not, but this is the Creighton section. So let's talk about the Creighton Blue Jays. They went 2-0 this week. They Against? The Georgetown Hoyos and Segway. the Providence Friars. Segway. Uh, Segway. <laughs> yeah, the Georgetown win, right? That's avoiding disaster. Nobody can afford to lose to Georgetown. And the Providence game was a really good game. Beat Georgetown by 17. Um, I believe that game was played at Georgetown as well. I could be wrong on that one. It was Tuesday. It was at Georgetown. Um, hey, they took care of business. Nobody cares about anything other than taking care of business. The Providence game was weird. I mean, in a game where they had, you know, it's kind of a trap game almost because Providence just lost their best player. You're playing at Creighton. Um, you're on campus. Like, it's this big, like, event, and – you didn't come out and lay an egg, but I think you again avoided disaster. Tyler, how many points do they have from their bench? Do you know? Off the top of my head in that game? Yeah. I'm pretty sure, because I can look it up as we speak. It's they zero. They had zero points from their bench, Tyler. Is that a winning formula for a basketball team? No, Ryan, because you're forgetting. Also, this is what I hate about you. On Tuesday, their bench went off, and their bench scored four, eight points on Tuesday. So they <laughs> And I, I knew that because I tweeted that about on Tuesday. Talk about giving your offensive load to, you know, putting too much offensive load on three people. Uh, and it, it, you have to get something from someone else or else you're never going to be what you want to be. On the other hand, Ryan Cockburn was the best player on the floor against Providence. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe Devin Carter. Devin Carter was really good. But Ryan Cockburn, it was the best game I think of his season. Uh Tricky also went eight of eleven from shooting. I his ability to get to the mid range even against Devin Carter. Um, I would argue that Trey's performance was better because of the level of defender he was going against is Devin Carter, where Josh Adoro, who's a great player, is not Ryan Cockbrenner's size. See, here's where you're wrong. You is love there... Ryan Cockbrenner more than anything in the world, and I think it's just because you guys share a name. Here's the thing. Here's where you're wrong. Put your the Trump hands away. Of impact that Ryan Cockbrenner. See, I can tell you to look yeah. at my thread. The defensive impact that Ryan Cockburner made against Providence, unreal. Just unreal. And he played 39 minutes as the tallest guy on the floor. He led Creighton in minutes. Ryan, when Donovan Klingon started, well, you can't rely on Donovan Klingon. When Ryan Cockburner plays, it's like that, and I need you now, tonight. <laughs> it's that meme. It's like Donovan Klingon doing the exact same thing, and it's Ryan Cockburner, like, ridiculous. Listen, I rightfully called out Clarkbrenner when he had, he laid a couple defensive eggs against Eric Dixon and against a kid from UNLV, and he got kind of punked, okay? He had the best game of his season against Providence. He deserves his flowers, and God damn it, I'm going to give it to him. The kid turned his ankle against Alabama, and Ryan started a GoFundMe. Like, get a, come on. He, your, your Ryan Clarkbrenner love is out of control. He's the most maligned player in the Big East. He's hated for no reason. He's hated because he's well, people say he's just big. Uh, I want to give my flowers to Trey Alexander. I told him he needed to be more efficient, and Trey Alexander shoots eight of 11. Eight of 11. Um, that team goes as far as Trey Alexander goes um, offensively, in my opinion. You meant you Ryan Cockbrenner. You meant Ryan Cockbrenner, but you were very close. Um, Tell me who has one. have a great game. And Shireman found a way to impact the game, even though his shot wasn't falling. He started like 0 of 6. But he yeah. finds a way to impact the game, and that's all you can ask for from him. All right. Um... Who won one game in the Big East? That would be one. your Xavier Musketeers. No, Georgetown Hoyas also have one win. No, that's incorrect. So let's put three minutes on the clock, and let's talk about your Muskies. And they went 0-1 this week. They lost to Villanova in what was one of the uglier basketball games I've ever had to watch. If you change your mindset and you say, I got to watch it instead of I had to watch it, it's actually better. Um, in a season where expectations have had to be readjusted for the Xavier Musketeers, to have an opportunity to win um, against Villanova at Villanova um, with your best player taking two shots down the stretch, his little push um, kind of mid-range as time expired, but he also missed a layup down the stretch that was not very well contested. I mean, it, I don't want to say you're in moral victory season, but man, this would have been a really nice victory to get and you could have been in hung your hat on it, and it could have been a, a jumping-off point. Yeah, but you're right being now, nice. Desmond Claude had his man beat to the on the layup that should have won them the game. He whiffed. Desmond, Desmond Claude's a very good player. This is not a uh, – you know, I'm, this, this doesn't speak to him and his talent, but that is a layup he will want back, and uh, Xavier very well could have won that game. And his mid-range as time expired, he was open too from that. I mean, he they shot the ball really poorly against Villanova. Um, 
I don't know. I'm in a position with Xavier where it's just kind of like, it's almost wait and see the next year. Like what does the development look like? Um, Because I just don't know. I mean, you've pretty much played yourself where even if you go nuts here, you're not going to be able to get in there. um, The The, the injuries to the front court were so bad. And the turnover from last year, you lose all five of your starters. And then you, you – well, actually, you lose four of them because Fremantle sticks around. And then, uh, you know, you have your two best returners get hurt. And um, you're sure Fremantle's going to come back, and then they botch a surgery on it. And now he's – and Jerome Hunter then is poised to take over, and you have the scariest injury happen. I mean, However, Quincy Oliveri will go down as one of the best hired guns. One-year scores that we've had in the Big East. Is that wrong? It just is sad because if you had him on last year's team – you're talking about like the way they they would talk about him is the way they talk about like Sule Boom, um, where he leads a team to a Sweet 16, that Xavier Musketeer team, and unfortunately he's going to be kind of, oh remember that weird year of Xavier basketball where everybody got hurt and Quincy Oliveri scored 30 points a game, and it's like oh yeah that's, it, it's just not right for Quince, and we also love Quincy so they're going to pick off a couple teams though. Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna beat one of the top three teams in my opinion. Um, at Centos for sure, and I think UConn plays them this week. At Centos, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really tough um, place to go play. Sean Miller is a really good freaking coach, and you have one of the best scorers in the Big East. Nobody wants to lose to them, and uh, they're going to get a couple guys before this season's over. Do pull up my soapbox for a second. This is why at the beginning of every season I say root for your peers and non-con play. Because now someone's going to lose to Xavier, and that's going to be a Q3 loss. Um, not at Xavier. I believe that would be Q2. Um, but you're gonna, you're just gonna, you're gonna get. You want the a rising tide lifts all ships, Absolutely. and the better the Big East is, the, every win you get is better too. Did you see Xavier right um, in Ken Palm? What they're ranked? No, what are they right now? They are, um, I believe, four spots behind St. John's. Um, they're 41, and St. John's is 38. It's. Oh. St. John's fans must love that. Well, I said that today. Someone was like, it's Ken Palm. And I was like, well, um, but 41st in the country, that mean that would mean they would be like looking at an at-large bid if you only went in Ken Palm. So, I mean, seven and seven, we're looking at an at-large bid. Now we're moving on to teams with zero Q1 wins. It's never good to hear that, but your first team with the least losses would be your Georgetown Hoyas. Nope. Georgetown has one win because, Ryan, in the rules of basketball and Dr. James Naismith made it, did he say you had to shoot from within the lines or you could shoot outside of them? Tyler, you can't review that. Everybody knows the call has to be made on the floor. That's right. fair rule. What if you go and review it anyway? And then you still, and then you say, wait a second, we weren't supposed to do that, but we were just going to check it out for you. And what pissed me off even more, I'm watching last night, Kansas TCU and TCU like loses by two to Kansas. And it's like Georgetown beat this team. Like we're talking about ridiculous. It's not what the score says. Anyhow, Georgetown goes 1-1 one one this week. They lose to the aforementioned Creighton Blue Jays, and then they beat the DePaul Blue Demons in the bottle in the battle of the bottom of the Big East. Uh, but the Georgetown Hoyas survive. I won money on the money line there because Ed Cooley will not be losing to the DePaul Blue Demons, and I took that to the bank. Yeah, well, when you asked me last week at one and a half wins for DePaul, um, it would have been nice. If I bet the I didn't bet it this obviously, but this would have been their chance to win. Um, Brumbaugh was really good in this game. If you watch, he hit um, a couple threes that kind of uh, stem the tide a little bit. I don't know. I look at this team and I'm like, oh, they have some pieces. Like if I told you these players individually, like are they good college basketball players? You'd be like, okay, like um, Masood is he a good college basketball player? Like played big minutes at Kansas State. Um, Brumbaugh's a freshman, but Jaden Epps and Dontrez Styles have shown flashes this year. Jay Heath. They just can't figure out how to put it together for for a full 40 ad um, at Villanova. Um, Just wild disrespect to the DePaul game in which they put it together for a full 40. They didn't put it through. They won 68 to 65 against the worst team in Division One. One of the best teams in the country. DePaul DePaul is 3 and 11. Like, we're not even talking about, like, the same, like, breath. And that's where I was kind of – I was hoping Georgetown would say, hey, yeah, we might be 10th in the conference – but we're clearly a head and shoulders above DePaul, and they didn't show that. Any serious concern about Ed Cooley? You're starting to see this debated by Georgetown fans a little bit. 
are you looking at insane? Maybe I didn't get all I was promised. Tell you are an Ed Cooley hater. Can you drop that just for a moment on this response? I'm not an Ed Cooley hater. I hate Rick Pitino. I kind of, um, I hate Ed Cooley as a person. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, whenever you are a new coach with a hell of a resume and you are told you can bring in whatever players you want, and you don't win, well, I'm looking at you and saying, well, this is your team. This is literally the team you wanted out there. I get it that some injuries happened. I get that they haven't. But why was Rick Patino expected to win at St. John's? And Cooley didn't have that same expectation while having probably a bigger NIL deal at um, Georgetown than St. John's has. Um, I, I disagree to some extent. I do think it's interesting that he has had so little success in turning Georgetown around at all since we blamed the coach so much for the troubles last year. But I still think the outlook is good. I think Ed Cooley is a program builder, and I think he's going to get there, especially with the recruits he has coming in. Okay, but my, my question stands. Why did Rick Patino? everyone expect them to go to a tournament and no one expected Ed Cooley this year to compete? They all brought in new players. Like every single player they brought in except Joel Soriano. Is that really it? Joel Soriano makes that big of a difference? To be fair, nobody has suggested Ed Cooley is as good of a coach as Rick Pitino in, in terms of this year, right? I might I might have suggested that at the beginning of the year. Well, Ed that's Cooley had a Rick Pitino hater. That is true, but Ed Cooley had had very recent success in the Big East being a legitimate, like, one of the best teams in the Big East. Rick Pitino hadn't shown that in 10 years. Rick Pitino was one of the greatest ex okay. coaches. Okay, that's not my... That, sure. that's, not my that's not my argument. Ed Cooley, I thought, would be able to bring players in with a full roster, a blank slate, and he just didn't bring in the players that he wanted to, I think. Yeah, I'd say my concern level is at like a, a two and a half right now. Like, it's not zero, but it's like, eh, I don't know. We got a long time before we're hitting the panic button. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying we have to hit the panic button. I just think it's funny the expectations are so low for a coach that had had so much success in this conference. That moves us over to another team with zero Q1 wins. The difference being this team we kind of think is pretty good, which is why the zero Q1 wins is so concerning. That would be your Butler Bulldogs. So let's put three minutes on the clock. And they went 0-2 this week. They lost at St. John's, and they lost at home to UConn. Both of them were pretty good games. They're playing a lot of pretty good games. They're not winning any of these pretty good games. And it's uh, they're going to play themselves out of the NCAA tournament pretty quickly here. It's the prettiest 0-5 Q1 record of all time. I mean, you watch these games without a scoreboard, you you can't tell me that but looks like an 0-5 team in Q1 wins. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you, right? Moral victory season's over. You got to get some wins now. I love their pieces. I love their players. I love the um, environment and culture that Fan Mata's building. You got to get some wins. Moral victory season's done. If you want to do that, go back to high school. Yeah, the Posh Alexander revenge game started off really well for them, and Posh was kind of doing a little bit of everything. He was all over the floor. He uh, had some nice passes. He he had a couple. He had a. You remember that steal? He almost gives the ball up, and yep. he gets it right back for a layup. Did give it up. Gave it up. Gave that ball to the kid. Then kicked it out from under his legs, and then took it and laid it back up. And then talked shit to the St. John's bench. <laughs> That's what he does. But uh, and then zero points in the second half, and um, just not good enough there. Uh, they got killed on a glass in both games, which is actually becoming a, a kind of a, a concern, kind of a theme there, huh? Their defense is bad. I mean, I'm not. I they're 115th on Ken Palm before the UConn game. I know that because I watched Michael DeRosa's video. Um, can't talk about that enough. Um, they are bad defensively. They give up a lot of lapses and they lack size in the middle. Jalen Thomas and um, Andre Screen are pretty good centers, but they're not as physical as some of the other centers in the Big East. Um, yes, I know Andre Screen is technically seven feet tall and Jalen Thomas is like 6'10", but I think that it's fair to say that those guys are out-physicaled by a lot of centers of yeah. the East. So you're talking, they're lacking physicality in the middle. Yeah, sorry. When I'm talking about size, yeah, isn't Oso also 6'11"? Yeah. Yeah, but I think Marquette still lacks physicality from their five. They're also lacking some size and physicality from their front guards who might both be under six foot. Uh, not sure what they're listed at. I can tell you I stood next to Posh Alexander. He's under six foot because I'm six foot. Um, 5'11". No, I'm six foot. No, he's 5'11", guys. Check the tape, boys. Girls, girls, is there anything? Is there such a thing as six foot or is it always 5'11"? Or six foot one? Or six foot one. Nobody's ever Um, been six foot. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, hey, in the UConn game, they UConn attacked DJ Davis. Um, I almost wonder. I love DJ Davis's game because he's such a microwave. Uh, kind of gives me vibes of a sixth man type microwave situation comes off the bench and just absolutely lights it up because UConn hunted that mismatch a bunch of times. Caravan got switched on him at the end, hit an and one layup. Uh, they're going to be looking, people are going to be looking to switch on that, especially if they have some size in their uh, backcourt. Yeah, he's getting targeted, but there's no guard on their bench right now who's going to step in and be a significantly better defender. Uh, I mean, the guy, I, the, I'd like to see, I like Landon Moore a lot in these situations. Landon Moore has played, it played a very low major team, uh, on a very low major program last year and has had very limited minutes this year. I don't think he's going to be a defensive improvement. He got right a lot of middle minutes of in this club. game. Huh? He got a lot of. You got a lot of minutes in this game. Finley Bizjack also got a lot of minutes. Some of them, they're trying to do some development. Hey, they're, I'm hoping they're going to knock some people off, but they got to protect Hinkle. And yeah, is it unfair to sit here and say, because they lost in the number four team in the country, the defending champs, that we should panic? But you got to win some games. And if they had beaten St. John's this week, I think we'd be singing a different tune. And that just leaves one more team with zero Q1 wins. This is the least surprising team to be on our list. This would be the classic DePaul Blue Demons, who are 0-6 in Q1 games. Tyler, what did you say when you heard that record? I said I would not have scheduled six Q1 games if I knew my team was going to be this bad. I don't think anybody could have guessed they were this bad. <laughs> I think they're impressively bad. Yeah, well, hey. Uh, right. They lose two games this week. Um, They lost to UConn by 30. Y- yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. They, I mean, I don't know. I'm running out of adjectives to talk about this team. Then they lost to Georgetown in a game they played at least better in. But you lost to Georgetown after you lost to UConn. After how many, you how many points did they score against UConn? Do you have that in front of you? 56. Yeah, that's why I said they're the worst offense in the Big East. I, said, I say this every time um, we talk, but their offense last year was not that bad. Their defense was terrible. I don't know how their offense took such a big step back now this year. They can't hit a shot to save their lives. And their defense is impressing nobody. It's actually not as bad as last year, but... Oh, right. I know you didn't watch as much of this, but the Georgetown-DePaul game, I'm watching it. The amount of open looks that DePaul got, or Georgetown got, and just missed. Like, I know that that's, like, not going to show up anywhere, but I'm just watching the game, and they're just passing the ball around the perimeter, and then all of a sudden they have an open three. They're clanking it. Um... I mean, we can talk about Deshaun Nelson and how much we love him and his game. He shoots 8 of 11 um, against Georgetown with 19 points. Ty, what has to happen for an in-season move on Tony Stubblefield? They beat Louisville. They won't do an in-season move. It, it, their expectation at this point is that they're not going to win another game in the Big East. Um, their best chance will become when Georgetown goes to win trust. But the expectation is for them not to win. So how can they go lower than that? Do you think they can do it? No, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. I think it's a it's a lost season either way. So you might as well ride it out and save a little money at the end. Yeah, and hey, listen, when the next coach comes in, Stubblefield seems to be well respected by the coaches. So when the next coach comes in, you're gonna be like, well, we did him right. We let him, you know, leave on you know the way. They might even do one of those things where it's a mutual parting of ways at the end of the year, um, and they'll say we did you right. But this is this is a train wreck. I guess every conference has this. It's what me and Tim ended up talking about the other day. Yeah, every For every conference that has Michigan State, you also have a Northwestern and a Nebraska. Um, it's just the Big East is we with only 11 teams. We'd like those 11 teams to be competitive. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the first 10 teams. Uh, we're going to go to a short break here, and then we're coming back to talk your Seton Hall Pirates. 2-0, the team of the week, the team of the country right now. Uh, so stick around. We want to give a little shout-out to our favorite sponsor and the sponsor of the episode, Diamore Designs. Diamore Designs is a family-run company that creates apparel, custom apparel for all of your needs. Um, they kind of got their start making apparel for rec sports teams and you know softball teams, intramural teams. Um but now they really do it for anything that you could need. So if you want any custom apparel, go to DMOR Designs. Tyler, you got the website? Yeah, dmordesigns.square.site. Um, uh, if you just Google DMOR Designs, it'll come up. Um, help them out. They're really helping us out, getting us to do a few cool things. 
help them out, look cool while doing it. And that brings us to Shaheen Holloway's Seton Hall Pirates, Newark, New Jersey, South Orange, Prudential Center. Uh, they go 2-0 this week, and they beat Providence at Providence, and they beat Marquette at home. Those are two teams that were ranked, and uh, they didn't impress the Pirates at all because they took them right down there. Ty, what did you think? Right, I sat here last week, and I said, come Selection Sunday, the Hall will be in contention. And I was laughed at, ridiculed. Tomatoes were thrown, hoisted at me. And I said, you know what? They even put Jesus on the cross. I'm not going down like this. And the Hall comes out and wins two games. Are you kidding me? The Hall knows ball. They beat Providence. I don't want to hear about the Bryce Hopkins injury. They're winning by six when he went out. They ended up winning by four. So actually, the Providence plus two and um, Bryce Hopkins was out of the game. And then they beat Marquette 78-75. The best team coming into the uh, year in the conference. And they just take a, go to work. And this is after they beat UConn. Seton Hall will be dancing. And I want to just be the first one to say congratulations to Shaheen Holloway. I have told you from the start that Shaheen Holloway is a hell of a coach. Have I not said that? Every time. You said you doubted Shah. You said Shah, no fa-la-la. You hated him. (laughs) Can we stop the rhyming? How do we stop the rhyming? 2024 is the year of the rhyme. We hate it. Just speaking for all fans out there, we hate the rhyming. However, every time I talk about the Pirates, I caveat with Shaheen Holloway as a hell of a coach. I did not think he had the talent on this team. I appear to be wrong. They have a bunch of guys who are old, right? They have the 11th most experience, according to Ken Palm, in the country. They have a bunch of guys who are physical. They have a bunch of guys who are playing hard for Shaheen Holloway right now. And uh, they're going to beat you up. They're going to knock you around. And if you don't come to play physically, they'll take your lunch money and go home with it. Come with with your mouth guard when you play Seton Hall. I mean, this team... But, but this is what I was saying at the beginning of the year for Seton Hall because I didn't know. Kadari Richmond has proven he can do it in the Big East. Alamir Dawes, as frustrating as he can be for Seton Hall fans, has proven that he can do it in D1 school after D1 school. Clemson, Seton Hall, whatever. Uh, Dylan Adewusu, sometimes frustrating, proved he can at least do it in the Big East. Dre Davis had a really good year. So when you name that top four, I just don't know how many other teams in the Big East have a – Four like that that have shown that it, that type of success in the Big East. Let's pump the brakes here for a nope. moment. Their front court, they're going into the season, right? Now we know what we know about Jaden Bediaco. Their front court going into the season, Jaden Bediaco and Elijah Hutchins Everett. You're just going to pretend the forward position doesn't exist. Dre Davis is an undersized four. I didn't Absolutely. even know if he'd be able to. I'm sorry, it. do they measure heart? It's not about the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog, baby. And Dre Davis has got that fight in him. You got one thing right, and you're just going to be obnoxious about the it. Huh? Na- the national champions last year played with Alex Caravan at the four, and you're going to tell me that Dre Davis is undersized? Dre Davis saw Alex Caravan the other day and said, ooh, I'm the mismatch for him. Come on. Dre Davis is a three, and we all know it. Dylan Adeyawusu is a six. That's how good he is. Dylan Adeyawusu and Kadari Richmond, like if you rotate those two guys guarding me, I'm quitting. I'm going – I mean, these dudes, are go- they're going to bump you. They're going to – they're going to give you hard fouls. Like you're not, there's no and ones against these guys. When they foul you, you're not scoring the basketball. Um, you're going home bruised. You're going home bloody. Like, and, and my favorite thing is they play this ugly basketball pretty much the entire time. But when it comes winning time, they know exactly who to give the ball to, exactly what to do. And it's Kadari's going to back your ass down and he's going to try to get to the lane. And I feel like at this point of his career, I trust Kadari Richmond to make the right play, whatever that is, whether that's to make a pass to somebody, whether that is to drive to the lane and get fouled, whether that is to finish around the rim. I think that he has earned that ability. And I think I don't want to like get too much in it. Cause like by next week, Seton Hall might lose two games, but I think it all started at the, you know, in the off season when Shaw was really singing his praises and kind of really, you know, he had been kind of maligned in his college career where Jim Beheim said, you know, some bad things about him on his way out the door, where there were questions about his motor. And I think him realizing that Shaw had his back like that and giving him that trust 
you've just seen a different level from Kadari Richmond, and he's playing like an all Big East first teamer. Yeah, two more pieces on their offense really quick as we're running out of time. Dylan Adaiwusu, uh, excuse me, uh, Alamir Dawes, they all have so many names. Alamir Dawes, when he's flamethrowing, I mean, you add that to the offense uh, with Kadari Richmond, I mean, really hard to guard. And then the offensive rebounder, they have one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Jaden Bediaco, Dylan Adaiwusu, hammer those boards, earning extra opportunities. It's a, just enough offensively to go along with uh, – you know, a really good defensive squad, and they just keep getting better. I'll tell you what, then they've played four Big East games, right? See, no, I think they're three and one. Yep. I'll tell you right now, those four teams are thinking they're lucky stars every day that they only have to see Seton Hall one more time because the other seven have to see him two more times. You might, you might want to rest some of your starters that day because you don't want anyone getting hurt in a game like that because they muddy it up, and Seton Hall basketball isn't pretty, but it's effective. Yeah, you're a bubble team. You do not want to grab two losses to Seton Hall. Absolutely not. But Seton Hall won't be a bubble team. They'll be firmly in. Oh, right now. Yeah, easily. In. Let's, three, let's see if we get some votes tomorrow. Yeah, three of the best wins in, in the uh, in the Big East. Three of the best wins in the country, to be frank. To be frank? And I don't, you know what? And Frank didn't even say we could use that. Usually I'm Ryan, but today I'll be Frank. Oh, well, you know what? Frank Thomas was a good hitter. All right. Anyhow. That wraps up week nine of the Big East Baru. We're in the best time of the year. It is all gas, no breaks at this point. We will be coming to you every week. We'll see if we can get a couple guests on along the way. Tyler, anything you want to throw in here? Cancel your plans. Don't expect to go out in January. Embrace seasonal depression. And what you do is you stay inside and you watch college basketball from day, and then you look outside and it's all of a sudden nighttime. And that's the way you do it. this is the best time of the year, and I think Ryan's right. We add us. We'll respond because all we're doing is sitting and watching college basketball. So, uh, you know, we could have a conversation. Biggie's Bar Room out. Thanks for pulling up a stool. <laughs>